place of business this week, and I, I bumped into a, a young one who was very efficient. She wasn't really efficient at doing her job, but she was really efficient at, well, being irritating. Uh, <laughs> she was so efficient. In a few short sentences and in a couple of irritating gestures, I mean, I'm a good-natured guy, and she got under my skin fast. You gotta work. You gotta work to do that. She just, I, I, I was, I thought, this is remarkable how bad she is at customer service. And then, uh, and then, you know, of course, after I left, oh, but just before I left, I decided I'd give her a little stand-up customer service training, which she didn't receive well at all. <laughs> what I didn't realize was that she wasn't the only one hearing it. When I walked back out of the lobby, everybody was really quiet in the lobby, like they had all heard it, and they were just looking at me like, hmm. It was, uh, I was just offering some helpful suggestions, and she wasn't taking them. And so then I drove away, and she had gotten under my, I gotta be honest, she had gotten under my skin kind of bad. And I was just irritated with her and thinking, um, I know what I'm supposed to be thinking right now. I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor in this town. I'm supposed to be thinking, you know, what's her backstory? Why would a girl be so young and so good at being so bad? You know, stuff like that. I, 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 I was frustrated, and I, and, I, and I had that inner dialogue. Have you ever had that? Uh, you're probably thinking, I wish that, you know, irritating clerks were the worst problem I had. Right? Some of you have, like, determined enemies that continually try to hurt you. Or you live around people that really are, maybe they're irritating or, or maybe it's like worse. Maybe they're just, maybe they disgust you or, or irritate you or bug you or anger you. There's people like that, like they're all around us. Pastor Leo last week faithfully taught us that we were to be good citizens and good neighbors. Remember that? Good citizens and good neighbors. Um, I've been chewing on that all week long. It's not as easy as it sounds because we live, you know, we're good citizens in a nation that's kind of hardening itself against God. It's not, we're not living in a Norman Rockwell print anymore around here, right? And neighbors can be really different. Like, they can be good at being bad. They can be downright not Christian-y. You know, not all of our neighbors are like the people in Mayberry anymore. And if we were to ask Leo, you know, what should we do about that? I like to imagine that he would get that little smile on his face that he gets, and he would say, keep reading. <laughs> so let's do that. Let's keep reading in Titus and chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 through 7. He covered verses 1 and 2 last week. They go together. We'll go through verse 7. In your Bible, Titus chapter 3, we'll read verses 1 through 7, and then we'll work together on coming up with a good sermon title. All right? Number one, uh, verse number one of Titus chapter three, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's kind of like good, good citizens, good neighbors. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various 
passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us, in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Like, wow. <laughs> wow. So the world is going to be ugly with us sometimes. How do we keep from turning ugly in an ugly world? In this text, I, I have seen six really clear things to think about when maybe you're steaming over sinners who, who misunderstand you or bug you or irritate you or attack you or malign you or hate you or vilify you or disgust you or hurt you. So let's play pick a sermon title, all right? We could call this sermon, you guys, I know you're thinking, you're thinking, you should have had this done ahead of time. But I, I, let's play, pick a sermon title. Can we play that game? Um, six things to keep you from hating haters. If you like that, that's the sermon title. Or six things to do when you feel hardness creeping in to your heart. Or you could call this sermon, six things to think about so you don't get ugly wrinkles in your soul. Uh, that was one of my favorites right there. Um, six ways to keep the world from dragging you into the sewer. Yeah. Uh, six ways to stay loving in a hateful world. Six ways to stay sweet in a bitter world. Six ways to stay kind in a hostile world. Six beauty tips when people are ugly to you. My official title, drum roll please, is when sinners disgust you. When sinners disgust you. Let's talk about that. When you're tempted to be irritated or maybe even disgusted by sinners by people who aren't jesus followers when sinners bug you so this is this is uh, my natural thing like i talked about with the irritating clerk um and that is the thing i've taught myself is ask questions about them this is just good common horse sense and it's biblically sound ask questions about them people don't people aren't just the guy who cut you off in that lane there's somebody's favorite little boy right there's somebody's daddy there's somebody that maybe just lost their job. You know, right? So you ask, you ask questions about them. So I've always thought this is good. Like, I, I think when somebody irritates me, I think, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's their past been like? You know, I think that. What's their past been like? What's their, what's their backstory? Or, or I might say, what's going on in their life right now? I might ask that question. What's happening? Or maybe even like, what is God trying to do in their life right now? And then I think, what about their future? Where are they headed? You know, where will they end up? And it helps me a lot. It helps me with an irritating clerk or, or with, a, with, a, with, a, with a person who's hostile to me or a person who rejects my God and gets up in my business, right? It helps me to think, where have they been? What's going on in their life? And where are they going? It helps me to ask questions about them. That's just good common horse sense, and I can back that up biblically. But the text today takes us a different direction another direction that's a good direction here's another direction it says ask when people irritate you ask questions about yourself and ask questions about god what are they like what are you like 
what is godlike this is what you see in this beautiful rich full text that we just read to you and i see it in six pieces so here's the first one. First thing to do when people irritate you is remember who you were remember who you were that's the section there verse three as you can see we ourselves were once now listen to the list foolish disobedient led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy hated by others and hating one another somebody said a christian life is a two-volume work it's before christ and it's after christ it's a two for all of us it's a two-volume work think of it think about it like this how do you feel about foolish people how do you feel like that guy's a fool love that guy yeah, probably not, right? How do you feel about foolish people? How do you feel about people who are rebellious against God? How do you feel about them? Yeah. How do you feel about wayward people who are like way off, lost, off the track? How do you feel about lustful people who have given themselves over to some kind of perverted lust? How do you feel about people like that? How do you think about people like that? You know, they're enslaved to various passions and love. How do you feel about people who are continually angry or envious or hateful or hated? You know what Paul says? Remind the people that's who they were. That is who they were. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you're like me, you're thinking, I wasn't. I, I, I think when I got saved, it was in family devotions. I was five. I had a checkered past before that. <laughs> I, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to admit some of those things. I, when I would go out trick-or-treating, I would sometimes get a piece of candy I didn't like, and I would spit it behind my dresser. Later on, my mother would find that, and she would say, who did that and I would say I don't know <laughs> she would look at me and she would say Kenny you know who spit that back there and my inside my inner dialogue was mom you asked the question knowing who did that already you know this is the sinner that I was I'm not saying I wasn't a sinner but this list didn't describe me you know I didn't get drunk when I was five because my parents didn't allow any of that in the house Otherwise, I hit the grape juice hard, but none of the other stuff was around. I, I didn't have that problem, you know. I, 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 was, I, I didn't have a, a, a badly checkered past. But the other day, I did read one of these uh, little books a guy wrote. Have you, have you read these books? Like, they're, they're usually like growing up in a cult or growing up in a fundamentalist home or growing up in a Christian home, and they're usually bad, right? Like how horrible it is to grow up in a home like that where they force you to do it. And you know, let's admit it, some people really do have bad stories to tell. But that's a genre, that's a hot, that's a quick selling genre of literature now. You know, how bad it was for me when I was growing up. And so I got to thinking about that this week as I was studying this. As I was reading that guy's, that guy was a couple years older than me and it sounded like he was writing about my life. Here's what my life looked like. I had parents who adored me. I had parents who prayed with me. I had parents who taught me, memorized scripture, taught me to memorize scripture, hung on my every word, and there were a lot of words. The, I, I had parents who, who cherished everything I brought home from school. I have boxes of things that my mom saved, everything, every little minor achievement that I ever had, my mother saved the evidence from that, and she put it in a box. I went to church over and over and over again, and I liked it. When I got old enough to work outside the home, I had to work on Wednesday nights. I remember how 
dis- depressed I was thinking my family is all together in prayer meeting tonight and I'm not with them. I love the way I grew up. I had such, I, I went to summer camp. My parents would do anything they had to do to make sure I got to summer camp. They did everything they could do to make sure I got to a Bible college because I wanted to study the Bible. I wonder sometimes, what would my life have been like if it hadn't been that I was raised by such sincere Christian people? I am so good at sin myself. I wonder if my life would have read exactly like this. Before you were foolish and disobedient and led astray, and slaves to various passions and pleasures, and passing your days in malice and envy, and hated by others and hating one another. I've discovered that after I got saved when I was five, and I think I sincerely believed, and that I still was able to sin. I still was able to make a real serious mess of my life. I was still had, there was still evidence that there was that old man, that old piece in there, that this is what I would have been. So this is a helpful thing, right? When, you, when you're irritated by somebody else, think, if, if you think they're bad, that's what you were, or that's what you would have become, or worse, if it had not been for what God did. Think back. That's the first thing to do, is to think back like that, because that's who you were or who you would have become. And when people are ugly, remember this, you will be ugly too, <laughs> unless you remember what you were like before Jesus and what you would have become without him. When people are ugly, Remember what you were like, or you will be ugly too. The second thing, think about who God is. Who were you? <laughs> you were lost. And who is God? And that's the next little section, you know, there, verse of four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, this is so beautiful, isn't it? What is God like? He is eager, to, he's generous and good and benevolent and eager to be good and, and to give you loving kindness. That, who are you? You're a rebel against God, hated God, hated the things of God, didn't seek God. Who is he? He's, lo- he's good and loving. Kind. That's what, you think about you, you think about him. Think about them, think about you, think about him. This will help you with people who irritate you, who people who are hostile to you, who people who hurt you, who people who are your enemies. Think about what God is like, right? I'm preaching at camp last week, and, there, and the place was full, and I asked rhetorical questions of the campers, right? You got junior high and high school kids, and you ask rhetorical questions of the campers, right? There was this guy that was sitting there, this sweet, precious guy, sitting here, third, fourth row, and he was an older dude, like he was my age. He was, a, he was a youth sponsor, you know, hanging out with the kids. And every time I ask a rhetorical question about the things of the Lord, boom, he was, the, he was the first one to answer. He did not get the memo that adults were supposed to keep their head down and be quiet and let the kids answer the rhetorical questions. But he got me to laughing because he loved God so much, he was bursting with the answers. You can just, I'm like, I got to thinking while I was preaching, he made me laugh in my heart thinking, I got to have coffee with that guy and figure out what is making him bubble like this. The dude is in love with the Lord. So we got over to the dining hall and I I caught him by the fireplace. He's standing there. I go, you got to tell me about you. He goes, I was raised on the south side of Chicago. 
not by my parents. I was actually raised by people that, that they found to raise me that, from the Pacific Garden Mission. He said, I've seen lots of people die in front of me. I have a really rough life, but I came to know the Lord, and I love him. I mean, I can tell you do. You can't even keep quiet. you got to answer all the questions. He reminded me of me. He was just a, he loved the Lord. And I thought, wow, here's a guy who is bursting with the truth. I was bad, but God is good. He's a giver. He's, he's good. This is a gorgeous passage, isn't it? We were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures and passing our days in malice and envy and hating and fighting and hating others and being hated by one another. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. So think about how bad you were. Think about how good he is. Here's a, and, and remember, when people are ugly, you'll be ugly too unless you remember the goodness of God and the loving kindness of God. So here's my, you know, my goal this week, and just to hand the text to you, is like, what, is, what do we, should we do as a result of this? It's very clear. We just change the way we think when we're irritated by people who are irritating. We should think about what we were like before we knew the Lord, and we should think about how good he was to us and how good he is to us. Here's the third thing, then. Think about what God did. It says it in this terse phrase he saved us he saved us that's the that's the rescue word like you didn't you know sister was telling me today that uh, her husband came to know the lord but before he came to know the lord i think his mother would ask him are you saved and he would say saved from what now the answer to that is saved from death and hell and condemnation and an eternity separated from God and eternal conscious torment because you paid the price for your own sins. Saved is a good word. It's a Bible word. Are you saved? This, this word, Baptist did not make up this word. This word is from the Bible. He saved Baptist don't have much else to talk about. They talk about being saved. That's why our family, because my dad ran into some crazy Baptists one day. They were like, are you born again? He's like, wait a minute. I'm a Christian. I'm American. They're like, are you saved? This isn't bad. This is a good thing. That's what, what does it say? Uh, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He rescued us. He rescued us from the penalty of our sin. So we thank the Lord about that. He saved us. I heard a fellow one time, he said he, uh, his dad and his mom went to a church that was, uh, had drifted into theological liberalism and really didn't make the gospel plain at all. And they went, that was their church. They went there Christmas and they went there Easter. And I would say, if your church doesn't preach the gospel, don't go any more often than that. And even then I wouldn't go. But anyway, so he goes on Christmas and Easter and why would you go any other time? Anyway, so he says, one year at Easter, his dad showed up and the pastor shook his hand and said, see you on Christmas. <laughs> his dad said, no, you won't. And he never came back. So the next, sun, next Sunday morning, his dad got up and he said, we're going to find us another church where they appreciate us. And we're going to go there on Christmas and Easter. And they stumbled into a Bible preaching church. And the minute they got there, his mom and dad knew there was something different about that church. They were teaching the Bible. They were making a way of salvation plain. His dad came to know the Lord, and he was so shocked the next Sunday morning, his dad said, we're going back next week. And the kid's like, what? Yes, we're going every week. Every week they started going back. He's the guy who wrote the book I was telling you about, what it was like to be raised in a Christian home. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about 
people who never lose sight of the fact they were lost but now they're saved and the people that irritate us mostly irritate us because they're not saved yet because they haven't tasted the goodness and the loving kindness of God yet and we have not contempt for these people but what we have compassion for these people because because we're saved he saved us now that's uh that's uh number three right here's number four think about why he did it why did he save you or here's the question did he save you because you're good or because you did good works did he save you because of something you did are you saved because of something you did let's just go ahead and answer out loud this is going to be a yes or no very simple pass or fail okay are you saved because of what you did you're right you did not you're not saved you saved because of what he did and that you believe and this is why it says this he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy is that plain you're not saved because of what you did you don't stay saved because of what you do you're saved because of what he did you're in him you believed in him he saved you he rescued you and it's because of his mercy not because of your merit let's uh, this is by the way you know we're a little bit later if we have any time and we probably won't and we're going to talk about that pray love invite gospel conversation i mean if i don't finish that today trust me we'll we'll play we'll, we'll be back again if the lord tarries and we'll talk about that that pray love invite gospel conversation this is a passage you want to be familiar with so that when you're having a conversation with people most of them are on this merit system with religion you know they think they have to earn their way to god this is a great passage to show them the scriptures are very plain very plainly teach that it's not because of works that we're saved but because of his mercy that ought to stir your heart right there not because of works but because of his mercy i love him he's been good to me i'm saved not because i'm good good natured like i said earlier but well, not really good natured that we say that that's theologically wrong that's not true right yeah, i'm saved because he's good natured and because he decided that he would reach down and uh, he would he would lift me up and so do you and when you need to realize too that when people are ugly you will be ugly too unless you remember that you did not earn your salvation it was because of mercy here's number five and there are only six how am i doing all right number five think about how he did it think about how he did it how did he save us he saved us because of his mercy not because of our works and how did he do it beautiful language here by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit you get this by reading this you can see these words are loaded they point other places in the Bible they're very rich they're very meaningful you are washed and regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit I was asking Lois in bed last night we we're going to sleep are you regenerate she said don't use big words on me so we have a, we want to we want to work on that like are you regenerate I knew she was I just wanted to impress her because you know you like impressing girls um, uh, the, are you washed and regenerate and renewed this is good let's study this a little bit whom he by, by the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace this is how how did he save us he gave us life that's the regeneration means he gave us life this is a special work of the Holy Spirit when we're saved stuff happens we don't feel or know happen one of them is we were dead spiritually and he gives us spiritual life 
by the work of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures teach us the Holy Spirit regenerates us or gives us life. That means you were spiritually dead and now you're spiritually alive. If you use the term save that he uses earlier, when you're saved, you're, you get life. Before you're saved, you're spiritually dead. Everybody in this room is either spiritually dead or spiritually alive, depending on whether or not they have believed that Jesus died on the cross to pay for their sin. You're spiritually dead or alive, not because you turn over a new leaf or you were good or you went to church a lot, but because you believed and, and because you, and, and, and the scriptures often talk about repent and believe. You turn from your sin, you hate it, you, God help me with my sin. I fear the effects of my sin. I don't want to pay for the penalty of my sin. I repent, I, I turn away from that sin. I believe in, in, my, in my mind, will, emotions. I don't want to sin, but I want to be saved. That's when you're saved. And this is what happens. Washed through regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, beautifully poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we're justified or made just or right before God by grace or by his gift. This is very powerful to understand. A lot of people go to church every Sunday and don't get this. A lot of churches teach a lot of kind of moralism and they just don't teach this. And this, you know, your eternal destiny hangs on whether or not you understand and believe this. Are you born again? Are you saved? Are you regenerate? Are you renewed? Is the Holy Spirit poured out on you in that way? Do you have life because you believe in him? Is the work of God in you when you believe? Now, here's the interesting thing. If you read the Bible real carefully, you see that, you know, even though we say it has a bunch of books, it's one big overarching story that fits all together in an amazing way because it was conceived in the heart of God. And inspired, God inspired men to write it. He carried them along, and he breathed that, breathed that through them to write the Bible is God's Word. What you see is there's a big story in it if you pay attention. And the story isn't just of the renewal of people or the regeneration of people. It's of the regeneration of everything. And this is really cool because when you see that, you get a bigger idea that God isn't just doing little bits and pieces here, but he's actually, he made the whole universe and he allowed it to fall away into sin. And now in order to demonstrate his glory, he's winning it all back to himself and he's gonna put life into all of it. And this is actually called in the Bible in Acts 19, the regeneration, in the regeneration, in the time when the whole creation is regenerate, you too that who believe will be a part of the regeneration of all creation. It's like, all oh, this is gonna be something. The, the world was so beautiful, but then it was so broken. But then God did what he did and sent his son, our savior, the Lord Jesus, who rode in like the cavalry, if you will. And he, when he wins, he's not winning to himself those who believe. And one day is literally going to, re, to make the whole thing new. This is throughout the scripture, but most beautifully rendered in Romans 8, 23. We who are the first fruits of the spirit, because we have been born again by the spirit, grown inwardly and as we eagerly await our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies this is embedded in the passage in romans chapter 8 that's talking about the regeneration of all the creation you get to be a part of that you get to be swept into what god is doing all the you watch a movie and you cry. You read a book and it has a, it gives you a haunting hungry, hunger. You listen to a symphony or to a song and, and it makes you cry in a deep way. God is tugging on you to show you, to tug you into his story. This is what it's all about. 
to find our place in the story of God is what it's all about. You're not going to understand you, the world you're living in, the bad things that are happening around you, the weird people that are around you. None of that is going to make any sense until you see that you're a part of a broken creation that God is, is, is bringing to himself. He's going to redeem all of it. He's going to recreate all of it. He's going to regenerate all of it, including all of those who believe. And now the world makes sense, you see. So when he's using this language, John Piper's written about this in a beautiful way. He says, God's purpose is that the entire creation be born again. That is, the whole universe will replace its futility and corruption and disease and degeneration and disasters with a whole new order, a new heaven and a new earth. You see, this is how the Bible ends, right? This will be the great universal regeneration, the great universal new birth. When Paul uses the word in Titus 3, 5, he wants us to see that our new birth is a part of that new birth. The newness that we have by virtue of our regeneration now is the first fruits. It's a, it's a foreshadowing shadowing it's a it's a taste it's a taste it's a sample right the first fruits of the greater newness that we will have when our bodies are made new as a part of the universe that's being made new and all the stuff that grieves you and hurts you and frustrates you when you watch the evening news or the the aching you know arthritis that you have or or the pain that you feel when people go away from it, all of that stuff is is designed to tug us toward god's perfect creation that he's building and to make you be a part of that this helps you, right? In a world where people are rebels against God, you see that there's this trajectory that you're in, and it just helps you a lot. Does this make sense? It helps you a lot to say, wait a minute, we're not losing here. We're going to win. We have a temporary setback. Things are ugly around us. People are ugly, but we can draw people into the beauty of Christ. We can, we can invite people into the story of Christ. They can be forever changed and forever regenerate and forever redeemed. So put regeneration into your vocabulary, Lois. Get that in there. Number six. Lois says, do not preach to me. She's told me that a few times. Okay, number six. I retract. Okay, number six. <laughs> think, about, think about your inheritance and think about your destiny. And this is what the scriptures say there in, in verse seven. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Heir, and again, all this language is like rich, freighted with theological truth. We're heirs. In other words, this is the way it works, the way God said that when, we become, when, when we're in Christ, when we believe in Christ, all that belongs to him <laughs> it's hard, hard to even imagine belongs to us. You're like, I'm looking around and I don't see it. No, you don't, but you will. See, that's the point. If you have this great inheritance, the inheritance that belongs to Jesus is yours. You have something to look forward to. that help you not be owly today, right? Am I right? If a girl irritates you out there and you just say, well, you know, I'm an heir to a kingdom and a throne, a king, and you know, Jesus, all that belongs to Jesus is, belongs to me. I reign with him. I have a pretty bright future you're not going to irritate me today right and the hope of eternal life means the promise of eternal life the guarantee in the bible the hope means the guarantee of eternal life so you're heirs together of a guarantee of eternal life i think that should help right that should help if people irritate you to keep you from becoming ugly that should help shouldn't it 
wait a minute, I, oh, you're just kind of like, you're, you, you know something they don't know. You're kind of smiling, they're like, what? You go, well, you know, I know I drive an old Ford, and I know it's got a dent and some rust, and, and I know that I gotta get my taxes done, and I'm not sure I'm gonna get a refund, but I am an heir of everything that belongs to Jesus' mind. I'm gonna be enjoying that someday, right, not right now, but someday I will, because I have a promise, I have a hope of eternal life. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, isn't it? We have that we are heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And this is all because of God's mercy and because of God's grace. You see that? Is it there? If you're backing up in verse 7, you see that. So being justified by his grace. Can I remind you, grace is he gifted us this justification. Being right with God was a gift from God. Not works, gift, right? And so this is the people, we live that way. Like we, we live grateful because of, of the gifting that, that we have. Here's the way I heard it said, and this is helpful to me. It's a little bit tricky, but like, so imagine, God forbid, somebody came in and took your son's life. Let's just say you hunted him down and you killed him. That would be called vengeance, naturally. He killed your son, you hunted him down and killed him. Vengeance. Right? What if you said, no, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to get the police to come over. I'm going to get the police. They're going to arrest him. They're going to try him. They're going to convict him. And that would be called justice. What if somebody killed your son, and then you went to court, and then you said, I know he deserves to go to prison or to die, but I just want you to let him off. That would be called mercy. This is what I heard it said. What if somebody killed your son, and he was convicted in court, and he was sentenced to, to life? And you said, please let him off and let him come home and let him live with me. And I'll give him everything he needs because, I mean, after all, I don't have a son anymore. So I'm going to give him everything that I would have given my own son. That's called grace. And that's what God did for us. We killed his son. And he gave us everything that belongs to his son. Now, how could you have a bad day if you were thinking about that? Thanks be unto God. That's the truth about us. That's why it says in Jude 1, 22 and 25, on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, now and forever. Amen. Did you see before that benediction what he said? Have what? Compassion, pulling them out of the fire. So we have a choice when people irritate us and they're hateful and ugly and mean and hostile and, and they hate our God and they curse our God and they're given over to passions and pleasures that are vile and perverse. We can have contempt or we can have compassion. Maybe today it would be good for us to say, God, please forgive me for having contempt on people who've hurt me. God, give me compassion like you had. People crucified him, and he still had compassion for them. There's a little restaurant I like to go to. It's on the way to when you go up north. It's called the French Laundry, the, Fr the laundry they call it now, in Fenton. If they have the whole family, I don't usually go because it's kind of pricey. If I have maybe one, we'll stop. And it has a wonderful uh, bakery, all kinds of really good things, brownies with caramel in them. Jewish pastries, good coffee. The, the menu items, really kind of good stuff. You can't get anywhere else. If you go there, you love it. You sit there, you look around, and you realize the whole place is 
it's different than any place you've ever been. It's um, furnished with stuff nobody else ever wanted. Like old chairs somebody put out by the curb and old tables that somebody threw in the dump. They, they just went around, they, they got old chairs and old tables and old furniture and they fixed it up and put it all in there together. It's, a, it's one of the coolest restaurants I've ever been and it's furnished by stuff nobody else wanted. Everybody else threw away. I love our church so much. I think about it when I go to bed at night and I think what a wonderful thing it would be if we just kept being that kind of people that we go out and get people nobody else wanted. We go out and find people everybody else gave up on. We love people and we show compassion to people that nobody else really cares about that much. And we invite them in and we make them a part of the family. We love them. And we help them discover what their gifts are. And we get them involved in going out and finding others and, and bringing them in and going out to them. That'd be a beautiful thing, wouldn't it? But it's never going to happen if we look with contempt on people who are far from God. It only happens when we realize that we're every bit as broken as they are, just in different ways. And then we have compassion for them. Today, would you repent for the times that you've had contempt for people who are different than you? Would you tell the Lord that before we go? Before we leave this room and just say, God, I'm so sorry. That's been true about me. There's certain kinds of sinners that disgust me. There's certain things that I just can't forgive. And it's making me as ugly as they are. And then would you pray that prayer of repentance? Then would you pray, and Lord, please, would you give me the love like you have? Help me see what you see in people, even though I can't see it. Help me to love people who are hurting me like you did. And rescue people nobody else cares about. Let's pray those prayers. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes right now. We're going to pray. I give you a chance to pray that way. And then the group's going to come back and sing. And when they do, there'll be people that come to stand here in front. There are people that have come to pray with you. Maybe you, you'd like to have some counsel or you'd like somebody to pray with you over a burden or maybe over this that we've talked about during the, the time and, and after that the, the group sings. As we sing with them in the final song, you're welcome to come and join them. Stand with me right now as we pray together. Stand, please, and we'll pray together. Lord, I, 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 can't, I cannot hide from you. I, I am hurt and irritated with people sometimes that, that you love. You love them, and, and I don't like them. I don't like what they've done, and I don't like what they're doing, and it confuses me. And I, I feel irritated, and, and I feel hateful, and I feel uh, contempt. And I repent, Lord, I... I don't want to be that way. I don't want to, that ugliness to creep into my soul. I don't want to be pulled into that sewer. And I imagine others are the same. They've been hurt. Help us this morning, I pray, to have compassion. Put, our, put in our hearts the compassion that you have in your heart 